0: Welcome to Muslims Doing Things, a podcast about extraordinary Muslims and their career journeys. Guess what, guys? Today we're starting season two. Surprise. I'm surprised too, honestly. (laughs) I had a bunch of episodes lined up and I was planning to start posting in maybe two or three weeks. But after recording the first episode, which I just got done with that you're about to listen to, I was honestly so re-energized and got so excited to just have you listen to this episode and kind of restart the pod I stopped I stopped the pod my my finale was with our dear friend Ibtihaj in January as I was kind of seven months pregnant and work was wildly busy and I needed to really focus on getting as much as I could over the line before maternity leave and now work is still wildly busy I do have a child she's six months now Adela she's the best But I I miss this. I miss these conversations. I had tons of guests that I kind of put on pause for a very long time, just letting them know I'd be back soon and and needed a little bit of time to focus on work. So I'm very excited. Uh, Surprise. (laughs) Season two, episode one is about to air and really excited to reconnect with you all and start sharing these journeys. This episode is awesome. You're really going to enjoy it. Huda literally just liked. She's incredible. So welcome back. Huda, I am so excited to have you here. Everybody, this is Huda Idris. Huda, what do you do? I run .health every day and every night, basically. So what Huda is trying to say, she's a co-founder and a CEO of a company. She was the chief product officer of another company that now has 1,400 employees. So Huda is a hijabi in tech. And the reason I'm bringing up hijab is not because it matters or doesn't matter, but this conversation will become very important later in the podcast. Mm -hmm. I have not clued Huda into the things that I want to talk about, but I think she probably deals with a lot of the identity stuff I deal with. So I'm really excited, but we're not there
1: yet. I'm so excited. (laughs) Thank you for having me, really.
0: No, super, super fine. Um, so Huda and I met on Twitter and I just tweeted her and was like, you need to be on my podcast. And that's how we're here now. So you guys are going to kind of get to know her with me. But Huda, can you share a little bit about your background story? What did it take to become a CEO and co-founder of a healthcare tech company?
1: Yeah, kind of um, an, a very non-traditional path to it for sure. I got into programming just really, really early um, and knew I wanted to be in tech. I was really good at it. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, And I moved to Toronto. So I grew up in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia and then moved to Toronto for undergrad and then just kept looking for problems that were interesting or exciting for me. Um, The healthcare thing was something at the back of my mind because I always wanted to use tech for good. I was like, okay, what is something like super impactful? Because we both know you can make a ton of money just like doing like a tech job and like advertising or something. But that wasn't that interesting to me. So um, so I kept looking and found my way to healthcare because I didn't find another company that was doing something like this. And so I had to make one myself. What, what is it that you do that nobody else was doing? So Dot Health really started as a platform for patients. So there's a lot of health technology that's focused on the healthcare provider, right? So we have giant multinational conglomerates that service, you know, the hospital ecosystem and they sell, you know, $100 million contracts. But in the entire journey, patients are often unaware of what's happening to them. So if they ever ask for like basic information about themselves, they have to go to a bunch of different places. They have to jump through a bunch of hoops. And in the Canadian healthcare ecosystem, they often have to pay a lot of money for access to their own health information, which is really wonky because we have a publicly funded healthcare infrastructure. So, you know, I live in Toronto in our province of Ontario. We spend, kid you not, $70 billion every year on healthcare we're only a population of like 14 million people. Like that's a few billion per person. Um, how, um, wow, wow. I know, I know.
0: <laughs> the, ma- the math ain't math in Huda.
1: It's it's true. And I think a lot of it is there's so much waste when it comes to how we deploy this capital. So if you go into a healthcare setting and you look at some of the interfaces that these people have to deal with, it's like you're in the 90s with like a DOS input system, you know? Um, And I think a large part of it is there's a lot of legacy tech. And because governments are often like slow and archaic with how they move, there's no sort of counterbalancing force. And that's what we really wanted to provide with dot Health. It's like, okay, where can patients really ask for and get access to some of that information and almost start acting like that counterbalance to delivering a better care experience? Because in a publicly funded healthcare system, nobody cares. You know, you're, you, okay, you don't want to go to this hospital? Like nobody cares about the Google reviews of like hospital A versus hospital B, because they have enough demand. They, they really don't have to care about you. So I think a huge part of it for DOT for us was giving patients a bit of a voice and a bit of a platform to try and almost advocate for themselves. Um. You know,
0: I I was going to stop you to just point out your term, the care experience. It's funny because like you're an enterprise software. I'm an enterprise software. We're going to learn a lot about each other throughout this podcast, but experiences weren't relevant in enterprise software until very, very recently, right? Right. Like we had technology in the early 2000s. Well, let's think of experience. Experience and design in the early 2000s was something for architects, interior designers. It was like high fashion, right? And in the 2010s with like the advent of smartphones, there was Facebook and experience was something limited to consumer applications. And between the 2010s and now enterprise software is like hold up like we need experiences too Um, at our own company we have a vp people and her her whole thing is she provides the people experience right it's not hr it's like the experience for people at our company so experience is like playing a big role but i also see that your backgrounds in design product and design so i'm I'm not very surprised as a fellow product and design person
1: Mm -hmm. because you kind of look at i think designers one of my former bosses once said this he was like designers live in two worlds at the same time. One world that's like super broken and another that has, you know, this sort of utopia of experience or, or whatever. And, you know, they kind of have to straddle those both worlds and try to bring one into the other all the time. And I, I love that because it's so true when you look at some of the enterprise software that you're talking about, even some of the more cutting edge and expensive one that's supposed to have, quote unquote, like the beautiful experiences, are still really far behind because I think enterprise as a as sort of an industry puts up with uh, a much worse user experience than like direct consumers do.
0: Yeah. It's just really hard to get rid of enterprise software once you have it like mm-hmm. the half the battle. So building the software is a big part of the battle and like selling it and implementing yeah. it, but like the change management is such another big part of it. And what I've learned kind of dealing with enterprises is that ends up being a big piece of the puzzle. And it's why people put up with like, MS DOS software as you're kind of referring right. to, right? And, and so so anyways, to, to kind of go back to the story, um, when you when did you where did you grow up? You grew up in Canada? No, I grew or up Jedha, in, JETA, in Saudi yeah. And when when did you make your way to Canada? Was it for college or kind of how, how did how did Huda begin? How did Tech Huda begin?
1: So Tech Huda actually began earlier. So I was 10 when I discovered that programming was a thing because there was like a class at my school, it was called like IT
0: um I, I and I was like good whatever
1: <laughs> right like I was in the fifth grade I remember I had like an oh, information gosh. technology like, IT
0: expert. got such a rebrand as like a field <laughs> it got such a rebrand it's like you know it's such a big difference between being like a techie and like an right. IT person. Right. It's like now it would be like a Girls Who Code class or like, you know, basics yep. of coding. Anyway, so at fifth grade, Huda sees IT and she's like, this is the bomb, my dream. So then what?
1: Yeah, I start making websites and like IT class. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm really good at this. And I start doing all this kind of fun stuff where I'm like embedding different things into my websites. I'm putting, you know, we used to do all those like little flash scroll carousels of images. And I'm putting all those things in and I was like, oh my God, I can actually, I can do this. And my dad, he, um, he started his business right around the time that I was born. So I'd always seen him doing this sort of like entrepreneurial thing all the time. And I talked to him about it because I guess even 10-year-old me was like, there's something he's doing that has a parallel to what I want to do. Because I approached him about like, hey, can I, you think I can like make websites for people and they will pay me? And obviously my first customer was him. I was like, hey, you have a business. Can I make a website for you? Will I you pay me? Awesome. And he was like, yeah, actually. <laughs> like, he's like, sure. Like, this is something that I'm, that I'm into. And then like proceeded to introduce me to a bunch of his other uh, like entrepreneur friends uh, who wanted something similar. So I had like a really lucrative web design business at 10 years old.
0: That's incredible, and honestly, props to your dad who is probably like, "This isn't going to be the best website. I'm going to get my friends in on this, and we're going to like teach my kid to be a, like a boss at a young age." I, I need to be your dad, anyways. Carry on.
1: S- super cool. No, I agree. I, I credit him for for a lot of for anything um, that I've done, but that's really where it started. So I knew I liked programming. Um, I did that really all through. Like high school, so I was building. I was basically like a one-woman web dev shop Um, for most of that time. I made like a ton of money. I may have peaked at that time. Like it's all. (laughs) I I feel like that was a really good time. Um, And then moved to U of T, picked to do industrial engineering because I read on the website that it was a combination of business and engineering. And my, are you in?
0: Did you move from Jeddah to to U of T to Texas?
1: uh, To the University of Toronto. In Toronto, Toronto, Canada. I'm sorry,
0: Americans, okay. gosh, we always put ourselves in the center of the story. Okay, so you moved from Jeddah to Toronto by yourself mm. for college.
1: So my older sister actually was doing her grad school the same year that I was an undergrad. And this is 08, 09 was my entry year. Um, and... I'm coming in. So she's there with me, but I don't have any other family in Canada. And I'm moving here because I have like the scholarship at the University of Toronto, which I love that school. I would do that experience over and over and over again. I I'm love it. Heard,
0: I've heard very great things. One of, one of my um, best friends who was on the first or second episode of the podcast, Marzia was a uh, computer science professor there until last year. Now she's at MIT teaching.
1: Oh my but, God. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. She's, she's incredible. But uh, anyhow, the point is, is she was a big, fan not only of the school but the students she was like these students
1: are incredible that community honestly so much of educational institutions like you know sort of structured learning environments is about community I think you know the piece of paper that you get kind of nobody even like looks at or talks about after the fact but it's the community that you build while you're there and I think the sort of journey of self-discovery you go through in kind of a structured environment with some of your best friends that's it's the experience I think that's worth it uh, amazing so so you get to
0: um university of toronto and then
1: and then I, I you know i'm like spending like very little time in class and i'm just like around in all the extracurricular <laughs> activities i sleep like barely at all i have like three jobs at the same time because i feel like i have to play catch up um all these friends of mine and this is catch up sound... catch up to what you had business in your time? you know, let me tell you though okay so I don't know how to justify this, but this is just how I thought at that time. So you just have to go with it. When I moved here, I met a bunch of people and all of them told me that they had these retail jobs when they were in high school. So, you know, they worked like as baristas and, you know, at like clothing stores, whatever. And I had never done that. Kids in Saudi, I have to say, never did that. Okay. Like I happen to have a web development business, but kids in Saudi just like, Rode horses and played like soccer. Like they didn't do things; they didn't work.
0: I mean, Um, most kids, to be fair, do not start (laughs) web development businesses at ten. But anyhow, Carrie,
1: but but they have these little jobs, right? They have these jobs on the side, and I felt so inferior to my classmates because I had never had like a traditional job. So here I am. I'm like seventeen. I'm in first year of engineering. And I just feel less than. And so I'm like, oh, my God, I have to play catch up and I need to get a job. And this entire time, my dad is like, you know, first year of engineering, it's like 40 hours of classes, like no joke, just like chill out, at least for the first year, just like don't work, do your thing, go to school, get used to it. And I'm like, absolutely not. I have to work. So, yeah, I had like three jobs Um, and I'm, I'm glad I had them, to be honest, but it was a bit much. Like looking back now,
0: yeah, yeah it's, it definitely sounds like it. That's pretty easy to believe. So you're you're in school. You have three jobs. You're studying computer science. You're probably like you know. Actually, I checked your LinkedIn. You definitely were like pretty involved with the MSA and I'm sure other clubs. Um, so then what are you? Are you kind of sure you're like okay? I'm gonna scale my web business
1: or I'm gonna you know join a tech company. Yeah, I think for me, I didn't really know that I wanted to be in a startup environment. So um, it was me and like a group of my friends. There were about five of us, and we would different combinations of us would basically travel all around Canada and the U.S. and we would participate in consulting case competitions. Do you remember those? I don't know if they still are they like
0: pitch competitions. What are they?
1: Yeah, they're kind of like pitch competitions, but they're almost like a hackathon with like a very big presentation at the end. And all these like different wow. conferences would host them all the time and they would get these big sponsors. So like one of the ones that we won actually was Google. So Google sponsored it. And we had, you know, sort of 48 hours to come up with something that was going to be very, um, what was it, like proprietary to the Android OS. Um we won that competition. We all got, like, job offers at Google. And this is such back in-
0: As now two, two women who lead tech companies, that's such a smart <laughs> recruiting technique. Never I was. Know. I'm, like, looking at my go it's probably so inexpensive to run. And, like, it's so much less expensive than recruiting. Brilliant. Putting that one in the bag. keep Carry on.
1: It's true. We should <laughs> – now that you mention it, I'm, like, we – Dot needs to sponsor way more of these than we do. <laughs> Um, But I love them. We would we went to Penn. We went to Stanford. We went ev- like everywhere there was a consulting case competition. We would literally just show up there. So there was a group of us and we earned like some thousands of dollars, like not a ton of money. Um, but even just like prize money was quite significant. And I remember getting my job at Google and I was like, OK, I'm set. Like I'm going to work at a big tech for my yeah. entire career it's gonna free be fun. Food, free food, yeah. drag cleaning. Yeah. The like slides in the office were like very attractive, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. And then we oh, have, by the way,
0: pause. If I was your mentor yeah. at this point, I'd be like, you won't last. But anyways, well, I was not your mentor at this point. We just, wait, what would on. you say? I would have said you won't last. You'll get bored in a year. And every I time I make these predictions about anybody, I'm always right. Anyhow, carry on.
1: I know. I think I should have, yeah. I sh- I should have known that I think about myself, but I wasn't very self-aware at the time. I think I was just like going with the flow. Um Where was I? Uh yeah, we have so, so UFT Yes, UFT Engineering though, one of the more sort of like sort of unknown parts of this program is that they have a co-op term that is unlike other co-op terms. So, there's sort of two big engineering programs in Canada, Waterloo and UFT. Waterloo does summer co-ops, so you're basically working or studying for five years straight.
0: Yes, we have hired Waterloo co-ops. Right, very, so you so, know. Yeah, we have, we have an office in Montreal because Canada actually does such <laughs> a good job um, just developing
1: technical talent. I know, and then like exporting it immediately, you know? It's awful. <laughs> I'll
0: stay out of that conversation, <laughs> but yeah. But, anyhow.
1: but we, um, at U of T, we basically have 16-month co-ops. So you take a year off school and you just work somewhere for a year and a half and then you go back and you finish your fourth year and you graduate whatever so that's just the way the program is set up and when we had that basically google i had a google offer that was going to be you know in their it was in their ux program at the time and it was four months and then they had to renew it every time for my 16 month period at wattpad which is where i ended up going that was a startup in toronto literally 10 people. It was like in the middle of kind of, you know, at the end of the subway line in like a dinky little office. And Alan Lau at the time was recruiting. And, you know, I'm kind of showing up and I'm pretty, you know, I'll say I was like pretty cocky at the time because I had like an offer in my back pocket. And I'm like, I don't need any of y'all. So I uh, you have to sign up for a bunch of like interviews that you want. And I signed up for one. That was like the the level of my arrogance at the time. I was like, I don't need any Like people were literally in like, You know, 30, 40 different interviews. And I was in one, and that was Wattpad, which is a storytelling platform online where you can do basically serialized publishing of your book if you want. And there's a huge audience and it's global and it's great. So I walk into that. And because I'm so arrogant and because I have this offer in my back pocket, Alan is kind of pitching me on this job as a QA analyst, which sounded super boring to me. So I was like, okay, listen, I don't want that job but here's what I do want. And I want you to make it happen for me. And I'm like 19. Like I'm very young at this time.
0: But, and but like, also 10 years into a career,
1: which shows kind of the importance of trying
0: anything early because you learn how to negotiate.
1: Ridiculous. But like, just imagine the arrogance. I wouldn't do that today. I don't think.
0: I don't know. I was kind of an arrogant kid in the same way. <laughs> like, so okay. Not the bad way. I just, I knew my
1: value. So like, yes, carry on. This That's is a good me. way of spinning it. But I basically yeah. went in and I told Alan, I don't want this job. I like walked into that interview and I was like, yeah, I know I like booked a slot for this, whatever, but here's what I really want. I know I want to be in product design. So I knew that because I had some understanding both from consulting these competitions, but also through some part of the curriculum that product design was sort of this new-ish field in the world of tech. And I love design, and I love being able to sort of stitch those sort of two worlds together. So I'm telling Alan, I'm like, you have a team of 10, and none of those people are experience or product designers. So here's what I want you to do. I will take your QA job, but my title needs to be an experienced designer at Wattpad, and the very first one at that, and I'll figure out how to do both jobs.
0: So smart. And uh, if I were if that. I were Alan, I would have hired you on the spot, sitting where I sit now. On the like, spot.
1: Amazing that Alan actually got back to me, in my opinion, because I think had someone come in and been that arrogant.
0: I don't
1: know how I would have reacted to the. You know honest. what?
0: Honestly, like if you take take forget that it was you that you're evaluating. If somebody came into your office today and did that, you'd be like, a This kid has grit. B They're good at yep. solution solutioning. She yeah. doesn't say, I'm not doing this. I'm only doing that. C right. She can identify a gap. She's strategic. D She's like, no offense, but probably very inexpensive because she's like new to her career. Right. Like you no know, way. All the and you're like an early stage startup, so all the all the boxes would be checked. I would have yes on the spot. I am not surprised. Whoever's listening, Alan, if you believe oh. in
1: yourself, do that. Keep going, Huda. Alan, Alan was amazing because he called me the next day and he said, we've ranked you number one. I really want you to come work for me. And I said, I'll be honest. I have a pretty like, lucrative, like, way higher than average salary Google job lined up. Why should I take yours? And he said, and he's a startup at this time. Like, He has limited cash, whatever. He's like, I will match your Google salary and you will come work for me. And that was the end of it. I like turned down Google, went to work for Wattpad, best decision I made ever in my life. And it like set me on the path of this like tech startup route.
0: That, that gives me chills how you refer to it as the best decision of your life, because I think about those moments. Like what are the moments where I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but like, dude. That you know that really made a big difference in terms of how I operate or yeah. kind of what I'm doing. So I, I I really feel that, and that gave me chills. So so you start at Wattpad. You're this QA product designer with no product design experience and <laughs> probably no QA experience. Frankly, it's day
1: one. Then what? Wattpad was just this like transformative experience for me. We had. I had a lot of free room to sort of move around and do a lot of things that I thought of and really wanted to put into action and even experiment with. Um, And, you know, I joined there, I actually set up like the first sort of month, maybe six weeks, I think it was, I built a little like script that would do all my QA jobs for me. And then Spent the rest of the entire 16 month period being a product designer. I hired my own boss. We built the team out, the design team out from just me to about, I think it was 12 people by the time I left. We raised two rounds of financing. I sat in a meeting with Fred Wilson from Union Square Ventures, while like Alan points to me and goes, Oh yeah, and we're like, you know, we're really investing in product design and experience design right now. And I'm like a freaking intern. And I'm sitting there and like what I didn't know at the time was I was absorbing so much information about how to pitch, how to communicate with investors, what Mm -hmm. they care about, and all these sort of small details that no one can really teach you, you know, how they're nodding their heads, what they're agreeing to, when their eyes are glossing over, how Alan is presenting, and all those things I've carried with me since then.
0: And and you know what? You know what else? Like which is really hard to kind of teach and understand is like the hunger, knowing that like, if it's not you, it will be somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do this. And if it's not this path, it will be another path. But I'm going (sighs) to do
1: this. Yeah. Like, I will do this. If it means bringing interns along, I will do this. It's true. I mean, he's a phenomenal entrepreneur. They sold Wattpad for half a billion dollars a couple of years ago. So like, clearly it worked out very well for them. Um, He didn't know what he was talking about, it turns out. Oh yeah, no, incredible. Alan is an incredible like sort of serial entrepreneur, also a UFT engineering grad. And you know, I just I learned so much from him. We did our first round and this is back then. This is 2011, I think. And back then, like series A were like 3 and 4 million dollars, you know what I mean? Like it was so cheap.
0: Yeah. To I get into some of these We raised <laughs> raise money not shortly after that, not then, but, you know, a few years later, the the, the landscape has changed drastically, yes. I just saw like a you see, million like... Series A. I was like, oh, all right.
1: Yes, but also like pre-seed rounds today are like $12 million. And I'm like, what? H- how? Um, oh, and maybe, yeah. you know, some of it I think is inflated and some of it is is real. And I think people kind of coming in uh, earlier on really great ideas, but yeah, we did like a three and a half million series A with USB, I think. And then we did a series B with Coastal Ventures right near the end of my internship, which was also awesome, uh, to kind of sit through and understand and absorb. Um, and that wasn't that much bigger. I think it was like maybe 17 million or something like that.
0: That's amazing. So you graduate college, you've been at the startup, seen it grow two rounds of funding, What do you do then? I'm sure Alan's like, dude, come on full time. Do do you take his offer? I'm just assuming that's true. I'm sure it's true.
1: What happened? Yeah, Alan was like, don't go back to school. Just stay here. I mean, like, I
0: I understand (laughs) Alan's point of view. This is also predictable. Keep going.
1: He's like, people go to school and get a degree to get jobs. You already have a job, so it's like skipping a step. I obviously go back to school because I'm like, nah. I like I really, you know, I want an iron ring. I want the degree. I want everything. I want to explore my other options. And while Wattpad was great and I learned a ton, it was in the entertainment space and nothing against that part of sort of tech. But what I wanted to do was I needed to build things that people couldn't live without. Like I needed them to be like almost like very utilitarian or like plumbing, like something so essential. and so I kept looking for that and found my way to another great Toronto startup called Wave. Um, and there I joined a larger team. I think it was like 55 people at the time. They'd gone through a few rounds of financing. It's basically an online accounting tool. You can build invoices. You can run your small business on Wave. Um, joined that. And then from there got poached by Mike Kachin at Well Simple, and joined him on like the ground floor of starting basically a bank um, in Canada, which is like near impossible. Um, so that was, that was just a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. And I, I looked them up too. They have like 1200 employees now. And when you say the ground floor, do you mean it was brand new?
1: Like we were in Mike's apartment. <laughs> 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 so,
0: so I have to ask you a question. It's a very direct mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. Cause I saw that on your resume and I saw the number of people and I was like, I'm assuming she got in early enough for title. Because you're the chief product officer there with like literally probably a year post college
1: experience. I didn't join. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't actually join with that title. I got that title post our Series A, which was technically an acquisition, but we'd never pitched it that way. But we basically sold Majority Stake to a giant company here in Canada called PowerCore. And we did that. We did that. And then I sort of got promoted. So I think I was like, director of design before then or something like that but I didn't I don't know that I've ever been super into the title part of it I'm a workhorse like I will do lots of jobs and like not complain um yeah. and I think that was yeah that, that was honestly part of it like Mike is a great dude and you know he kind of called me up and was like what do you think and I was like yeah that sounds that sounds great let's do it and I think he took a chance on me but I took a chance on him too Oh, always. um yeah. yeah, and it worked worked out. Uh, but yeah, everyone on my team, everyone who reported to me was like much, much older than me. I was like yeah. 23 in that role. So yeah. I
0: have a question about that because I've definitely experienced um, having different reports and reports who are more experienced than me, which is also very interesting, right? doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean better, but more experienced. Um, and I have found that in that scenario, the best thing to do is like to make sure you're asking a lot of questions. If there's something that you need to kind of learn about Mm -hmm. and not, not assuming you always know the best, but kind of, you know, being able to take, take kind of lots of input and feedback. How did you, when you found yourself kind of fresh to your career, having all these reports, having this big fancy title, how did you navigate that? Or did you have a really top down approach?
1: Um, It was very interesting for me because I think I went from being someone super hands-on to being purely a people manager. And I don't think that was good for me. Like, I didn't like it. I don't enjoy doing just people management. I need to be doing something like sort of on the ground, so to speak. Um, So I think for me, the transition was kind of painful to be honest. And I think there was a lot of learning I had to do very quickly because I got kind of thrust into the spotlight right when we were taking off. So I remember this is 2015, I think. I do this talk at Product Hunt. And the reason I'm doing that talk is because Mike is caught up in some meeting and he can't make it. So he gives me his slides and says, you're on in 20 minutes. Like, good luck. And it's an audience of like a couple hundred people. So it's not nothing, but it's also not massive. And I get up there, and it's my first public speaking experience. And I just try to be as authentic as possible. I kind of bring the audience in to some of the glitches I'm having, for example. And I basically got them all to sign up for Well Simple. Um that was like my my thing. I was like I want you to do this and I and I timed us. I was like we we took onboarding down from like 30 minutes to 5. That was like our big thing. Um and it was a huge success. Like my inbox was basically full of speaking requests right after that. Wow. And it hasn't really stopped. So it was a very jarring I think sort of transition um for me because I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I, I think in some cases I wasn't really ready. And I, I don't know, if I could go back and do it again, like I kind of wish I'd l- learned a bit more or been a bit more self-aware. Like I have a distinct memory of speaking at you know this panel and someone asks me like, hey, you lead a temp- team of mostly men, what's that like? And I, this is so embarrassing now thinking about it, but I was so naive and so stupid that i literally answered i was like you know i was simple we really don't see gender it's all the same i said that
0: and i was you like were, you were like know. fresh out of college like you had work experience but you had some life experience to make up for that's okay
1: it was rough like i think about it and i cringe now i was like 24 and i just yeah i don't know i think it was i think and it was you really you probably dumb. thought
0: you were protecting the team because effectively that person they threw a ball to you. They pitched you a ball right. that would only destroy your company in terms of what you had to say. Like you were either going to elevate yourself and put your company down or admit fault for your whole company. So it was a messed up question to ask a 24 year old if you were to ask me. Right. The only only thing you could have done was swerve around it and you just didn't have the skills to swerve because swerve you were early in your career. Like it, it makes sense. And that person was pretty screwed up for asking that
1: maybe I think I think they were valid in asking that I'll be honest and I do think I had a bit of learning to do and I think had I been a little bit more self-aware I would have handled that question better and more authentically which to be very honest is my entire brand like yeah what is happening is what you're gonna get like I'm not gonna put up some facade I'm not good at that I'm not very diplomatic I'm like super straightforward and I think that's the thing that works for me my issue at that time was I hadn't actually I didn't have enough humility to do the learning that i needed to have that role in that time if that makes sense
0: right to say like we need to expand the way we hire and work on the right. protocol and the, but i think that's where i'm saying like maybe they assumed that you had purview over that cuz maybe by then oh, you right. did have the big fancy title but i think right. the reporter definitely had an end goal but you're right like that there clearly was an issue to right. make up for and when you're, when you're moving really quickly, sometimes right. those issues either make it to the back burner, or they don't make it to the front of your, you know, your,
1: your top of your desk. It's interesting though, that you mention it. Cause I remember right around that time, I actually wrote a piece, my very first in like a national publication about women in tech hmm. and how well simple needed to do a lot more because in all honesty, it was a frat house. I worked in a frat house for like a couple of years it was super bro. Like imagine like the broiest thing and then like times 10. Hmm. So, so you could have said, I just wrote about this. We're addressing it. Next question is what you could have but said. Right. But I think, I think I had written that right after, but I remember oh. even writing that piece, I had to get an okay from Mike. Mm. I had to like kind of tiptoe around it. If you read it, it's like very soft, you know, mm. um, and so I'm obviously tiptoeing around the issue, but it's also my journey of discovering the issues. Um,
0: yeah, so it's just yeah. interesting
1: yeah. to look back on. Yeah.
0: And, and so I have a question for you. This is, um, this is a personal question. Like now I'm effectively at coffee with you and you're not on my podcast. Cause this is something <laughs> I think about, right? You Mm -hmm. are in this position where effectively your time is very valuable and it's very finite. You're good in the weeds and you can produce and execute on on the weeds level. You can also manage, but you also have a stage, Um, probably not only because you have a lot of experience to share and you're good at speaking, um, but being a minority doesn't hurt. Looking looking different doesn't hurt, right? Like, I'm aware of this, right? So we we do have an edge up, frankly, because the bar is also set very low for hijabi women. People think that we are oppressed, um, and probably a little Mm -hmm. bit stupid and Mm -hmm. turns out most of us and definitely not either of us are not that. Um, so, so you effectively have had this choice throughout your career. And this is a choice that I've always had as well to either take the spotlight and really focus on the spotlight and use it, you know, whether the end goal is, pushing your company forward, giving it more visibility, you know, th- there could be an end goal or it could yeah. be, you know, to, to, to build a brand or not, mm-hmm. or say, you know, like, I, I don't have the time for this. I, my time is better suited to continue to build the company and I'll worry mm-hmm. about this later. How have you navigated that? Um, yeah. h- how have you navigated that? I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know that I've been in many positions to ask this question, honestly. Yeah. So I'm super excited to kind of talk to you about it.
1: I think for me, I knew I knew that. So the thing that you're mentioning, I recognize that the rooms I was entering and, you know, I'm repping Well Simple at this time. The rooms I'm entering, I obviously look different and I'm the underdog. So it's a room full of suits. And, you know, frankly, like white men, like 100 percent of them. And then there's me and I'm coming in and everyone expects me to either be the EA or, you know, some sort of you know, on the ground level kind of stuff, And I turn out to be the keynote speaker, there's a certain level of um, what's the word I'm looking for? You get a bit of a high from that. You do. And I agree with you a hundred percent. I don't
0: you, out, you outdo their expectations. Right. People question I... their expectations. I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: And it doesn't that feel good? There's yeah, like, I feel a... like a badass and I feel like yes. Haha. <laughs> Right. There's so much power in that sort of unspoken, you know, period of time between a person kind of dismissing you and then kind of looking at you in awe. And it is ego, 100%. And I do think it's nuts. Like, so much of that is wrapped up in how, you know, how we see ourselves and the narcissism part of our personality, for sure. I don't know that I, like, chased that necessarily but i definitely got a got a high from it Uh, and i'm not denying that at all i think in terms of my navigating it i did try to dodge a lot of questions that were pertaining to my identity and tried to focus very much on my work and my company's work so i was always really focused on okay you know what, like, let's bring it back to XYZ. And I would honestly just like dodge any identity related questions. Um, because that was easiest for me. And to be honest, I didn't feel comfortable representing all Muslim women in tech, <laughs> like just because I had the stage, you know what I mean?
0: No, I, I definitely know what you mean. It's funny, because stereotype, I know, I feel you like, that is exactly something I think about all the time. But like, stereotypes, so w- what's happening there is people, when they don't have a personal connection, stereotypes are kind of the most almost sure source of information that people fall back on mm-hmm. when they don't have a personal connection to kind of rewrite that narrative, right? Right. So you're, you're in this room and it feels very good because people are typically expecting to be underwhelmed because they watched a lot of bad TV. Right. And now, you know, you've kind of outdone that expectation. But what, what I've also found too, and it seems like... Your your companies are your that wealth the wealthfront company specifically was a consumer company so taking a lot of time on stage was valuable as long Mm -hmm. as it was related to the company because you can Mm -hmm. effectively acquire users which was a goal of yours there absolutely and and now is your I'm sorry I called it wealthfront it's wealth simple wealth yeah yeah, that's okay y'all this is my first podcast (laughs) I'm recording after like eight months and a child. Um, it's all so good. Please don't judge me. So for Wealth Simple, um, mm-hmm. it was it was consumer facing, right? And, and now yes. at dot just a quick question is dot consumer or is it
1: um, are you selling to healthcare systems? So we're technically B2B to C. So we have consumer op- facing applications, but we sell to healthcare providers.
0: So Huda doesn't matter as much is what I'm saying, right? Like Huda, the person is not as relevant if your end goal is acquisition of users. And so so how do you navigate that shift from like, okay, there's a lot of momentum. Building Mm -hmm. that personal brand is important. One day I'm going to write a book. I made that up but I'm probably right based on kind of the 30 minutes (laughs) I've gotten to know you. Um, And so how do you navigate the, I don't need to be at the center of the stage to acquire users anymore, but there's Mm -hmm. so much momentum And maybe I can use it, like, for more things that are intangential. I can, like, use it to recruit people Mm -hmm. to my company. I can use it to get best for my company. How do you navigate determining how much time to spend on that?
1: Yeah, I think um, it was never. Now I'm going to contradict myself because even though it felt really good to do a lot of those speaking engagements, I am inherently introverted. People don't sort of believe me when I say that, but I really am. I actually get kind of, you know, I tap out when I'm in front of crowds too much and when I'm tra- having to interact with people too much, I really need like kind of time and space to myself a lot. Um, and so for me, even though I was doing all those things, you're right. I was doing it because it was good for the company. This was going to, you know, really help Mike out. We were going to do some fundraising and this was really good for it. Optics are good, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's not like I wanted to do that all the time. Like I definitely was okay with like one or two a year, but I didn't want to to be doing that all the time. Um, and you
0: could have. And- like that's the thing that people understand. You really mm-hmm. could have. There's such like a stage and a hunger for hijabi mm-hmm. women to like mm-hmm. speak mm-hmm. on me, have everybody rewrite the narrative. And I think that's mm-hmm. where I'm like really want to talk about this. Cause I experienced mm-hmm. the same thing. And like my choice has also been very conservative, frankly. I don't spend a lot of time on stages, which we right. can talk about next. Probably because of the yes. same things you're about to go through. But anyhow, go ahead.
1: <laughs> so it's interesting. Way back, like if we rewind our conversation, you talk about my involvement with the MSA. And I think that was my first foray into being part of like a very Muslim community in a very non-Muslim broader um, sort of society. Oh yeah, if that makes sense.
0: Saudi, exactly. Makes sense. Foreign to me, but totally makes sense.
1: Right, so I had joined MSA, and then I'd gotten like a slap on the wrist and kind of been ostracized from that community because I didn't. There were a couple of things and a couple of decisions I made. I think I was VP of Communications at the time that the rest of the exec didn't agree with because they were a lot more conservative than I was, and as a result, didn't agree with me. And I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just saying we didn't our our you know the way we were thinking about it or the way we thought about Muslim representation we didn't align on, and I was kind of pushed out from that community quite a bit, and. I do think part of that has dictated how willing I am to represent Muslims because I never like from a theological perspective, I'm not a student of theology. Like, I'll put that right out there. Like, yeah, I'm Muslim. I happen to be Muslim, but that is not my like end all be all. I'm actually like, first and foremost, like I'm an engineer, like, you know, I'm all these things. And I think the Muslim identity is almost private to me. So even when I've been approached and there are so many Muslim groups in Toronto, as you can imagine, who are like, oh, my God, come talk about this. Come talk about this. Come talk about how Islam has shaped your business strategy. And I'm like, yo, no. (laughs) Yeah, that's they're not related for me. Yeah, it's it's just like
0: a part of my identity, but it's not the platform that I'm using to, like, brand or present myself, so to speak. Not because we're ashamed of it, but because they're just very different talk tracks right absolutely they're very like the acquiring customers for a healthcare technology company by getting a bunch of people in the audience to pull out their phones is a very different conversation than like i wear hijab i'm muslim i'm very proud of it there there are two conversations that are valid But they got to be separate conversations. And I think we're, Mm -hmm. we see a lot of, and I respect and I like stand for a lot of women who have been able to take the identity and turn it into a full-time career. I know many women like this and I'm a-okay with it, right? But like, but that is not me. It could be, it could have been, it still could be, but it's just not me. Like I need to focus on my company. Like we are in the thick of it.
1: You are literally the only person, (laughs) have talked to who has been through what i've been through which is wild to me i know i know because i know so many muslim women and you are so right so many of them are more inclined than i am or you are to talk about how their religion has dictated their entire career which is just not true for me like i really want to be in the camp of you know i'm a really good technologist and oh yeah i happen to be muslim and i happen to be muslim presenting I, I Not only do I totally agree with you, like for the women
0: who have kind of taken the platform and reshaped the narrative, I have like endless respect. Do the work. It's the hard Absolutely. work. Undo the like garbage that Aladdin has done in terms of how we're represented. And, you know, yes. films of the likes. But like if you are not in the camp, we, we can't get it, it is a little bit. Um, I would say. You have to be very underwhelmed by Muslim women to assume that they can only. Work right. on narrative and fixing narrative. I think that you remove the agency of telling a woman, yes, you can like look different, but you can focus on different things as well. Um yeah. and it sounds so basic, but it really is a truth and a reality. And like I, I pay attention to this, right? Like I I kind of yeah. see the different stages that Muslim women or other minority women are given and the conversations and the topics that they are allowed to address or kind of, you know, encouraged to address. And right. people complain left and right about how tech is homogenous and yada, yada, yada. But right. like, y'all are pulling the same people up on stage too, right? Which is, you know, to talk about the same things. And so I, I, I kind of like, it's interesting because a lot of the questions I was asking you, I was mostly asking for my own frame of reference, my own point of view. Right. So I don't know, like when you were probably starting a company, I'm probably a little bit older than you, um, probably in the five, 10 year range if I had to guess, but I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> when... <laughs> When you, are, I'm 31. So yeah, so I'm in my mid 30s. So yeah, that's just about right. Probably five years older. And so, I went through an experience where I went viral from hipsters, Muslim hipsters, oh. where I was like skateboarding and heels. And it was a whole, yeah, that's me. So it was oh, like a whole lot of cool. I didn't yeah. even know. I know because it's not my brand, which isn't a bad Amazing. thing. Like, you know, it could have been. So I had this like opportunity to be like, okay. I can like run with this. I can be in the right. identity space forever and I could probably do a really freaking good job. Right. Like, I could just produce like killer media. I can write books. I can write articles and I can fight the good fight of like stop thinking we're this like a single thing because it right. has serious effects, whether it's, you know, lack of opportunity or hate uh, crimes uh, or blah, blah, blah. I could have like, run for freaking mayor or even Congress. Like right. that was a path that was very much in front of me. And I kind of thought about wow. it's funny when that happened is when we started, our, well, not when we started our company, when I met my co-founders, there's four of us. I think you're a solo founder, right? I am. Yeah. Yeah. So there's four of us. And I was like, okay, it's, it's really this or that. <laughs> like, like I can do right. a little bit of that, but if I'm going to do this, like I really have to do this. And that's kind of yep. a decision I've stuck to. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy I stuck with it because I really like what I do. Right. Um, but anyway, that's, that's, that's on that.
1: Yeah, I think – I don't know that I thought of – so I never went viral. So you're, like, way cooler than I am on a number of different fronts. But I ne- I was never skateboarding in heels, you know. I'm, like, a very avid skydiver. And people are like, oh, my God, hijabis what? can skydive. Like, this is something that I come across. But I've definitely not gone viral for that ever. I mean, you, maybe you should. I'm, I'm impressed. But anyways. There's actually a lot of hijabis who are skydivers. I don't know why. But I found that at my parachute school. And I, I found that. A guess. To be I have it. a guest. So, Ibtihaj, my friend Ibtihaj, who's
0: like the Olympian, yeah. went into fencing because the uniform is very hijabi friendly. Oh. Sounds wrong. Right. Sounds the same with skydiving. Just gonna oh put my it God, out there. You're
1: right. <laughs> You're right. I think that's right.
0: <laughs> it's like, you know, you don't have to, like, kind of modify, but anyway. Also, it sounds exhilarating. I've done it once, um, but I'm It's sure incredible.
1: It. It's, it's so much fun. It feels like flying. I, like, love flying. I've always loved flying. Yeah, um, I mean, you,
0: you, you are flying, but you just, you know, hopefully flying safely. But anyway, yeah. so... <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about identity. We were talking about um,
1: – I never had that wealth. fork in the road though, the one that you're talking but, about. But you do. I, you
0: have it every day. Maybe it wasn't as distinct, but you right. have it every day, right? You probably get like 20 speaker requests and for every 20 right. maybe accept two. You could right. accept all 20 and that's the fork in the road. Right. And then Hood is like a household name, Right. Right but then your company suffers
1: because it doesn't happen. Absolutely. And so. you know, what's interesting is my um, CTO at the time, this a couple of years ago, she actually pulled me aside and was like, you need to not do as many speaking requests. And I wasn't even doing that many. Interesting. Like I was doing maybe like, you know, maybe 12 a year, which is about one a month, which doesn't seem that much, especially for a CEO. Well, and if
0: you're like me, you're talking your talk tracks are the same. So usually it's like one heavy lifting mental exercise that's like maybe 10 hours a year and I just work off of that over and over again.
1: I do a lot of, I do like a variety of them and I, do, I have the tendency to like customize a lot of my talks and I would do a lot of them, like about half of them would be like very public facing at like conferences mm-hmm. and half of them would be in like private sort of exec team forums for like large farm techs, for example. Um, So it was very different for me because I had to, I did have to put together like way more than 10 hours of work a year on them for sure.
0: Yeah. Anyhow. So you made that choice once a month. She said, Hey dude, then what?
1: Too much. (laughs) Um, And and I dialed it back. And I think I, I do, I try to build more humility in listening to the people closest to me to recognize where I'm going off the rails a little bit. Like my board is great and like they'll you know, kind of guide me in the right places, but I do think it's always a bit of a balance. And I think it's always good to remember what you're doing it for. So I think the, your point about purpose and like why you're doing speaking or, you know, events or whatever is really, really important because to be honest, like the community, you know, while great will suck you dry. (laughs) For sure. It's exhausting. It's it's very
0: tiring to be on the speaker circuit
1: it will tap you out and like, it'll move on. And yeah. that's just not the type of energy that I want to put out there. So, um, yeah, I think for me it was, you know, kind of course correcting a lot of the times and then really putting myself out there when there is something very specific to dot that I need. So, you know, earlier we started very direct to consumer and so I was doing a lot more speaking. And now that we've moved into B2B to C, I don't need to do that as much. Yeah. But now yeah. I'm speaking to a lot more hospital foundations, for example. So it's a lot more private. It's not so much sort of community facing. Um, and I quite enjoy it. You know, we do a lot of like university related stuff because some of our, some of the tech that we build, we actually showcase to like graduating doctors
0: mm-hmm. in Canada,
1: which is really exciting and a huge part of sort of our, you know, the, the sort of sales effort. It's like the pre-sales pipeline. Yeah. Um, so we, we do, we do a lot of that. And I think what I've tried to learn and hopefully tried to get better at over the last couple of years is, um, you know, sort of shifting my focus in the areas where I absolutely need it versus just responding to like inquiries I get in my inbox.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I feel that. And, and so, okay, I told you this is going to take an hour. I can literally keep you here all day. So let's get to from wealth, simple to dot health. Um, what was that transition?
1: Um it was basically so one of my best friends from undergrad his dad got unfortunately diagnosed with uh late stage liver cancer um and you know he he and I were chatting and he was like you know like he was kind of ex- almost describing his dad's patient experience he was shuttling back and forth between a couple of doctors and you know I was a programmer and I was like Oh, actually like I think I can do something about it and in my own sort of like engineering way I built a little web portal basically dot version 0 Um, it was just like dinky little software. I built it off like a Heroku instance. And then all it did was it mapped his cancer marker progress. So I literally took all of his like lab results and then I plugged them into a spreadsheet and then I made a little view for it. Not that crazy. And I actually thought that it existed already. I knew nothing about health tech in general. I was working at WellSimple at the time. I was doing like three people's jobs at the same time. And kind of, you know, had like very little spare cycles, but I, I did this because it was meaningful and impactful. And I think that is something that kind of clicked for me the date. So, okay. The, you know, so this friend of mine, his dad, I'm like building the software for him. I build it for him. And then he gives me feedback and, you know, here's someone who is a full time patient is what I'm calling it because he can do really nothing else. He's too sick to actually work. So he's a leave of absence from work. And all he's doing is he's shuttling back and forth between different, like, healthcare providers. And so he's always giving me feedback. And every night, I would basically kind of take his feedback, filter it, and then make changes to my app. And he starts to find it really useful because he's literally using it. Like, that is his dashboard to see how well he's doing every day. And then, so in a chemo environment, you're all kind of sitting together for, like, an hour or so. He starts telling all his chemo buddies about this fun little app he uses and he has it on his iPad. So I've like made it responsive. That's fine. And he starts telling them. And then he starts giving my phone number to them. <laughs> and so they all start calling me. They're like, hey, you know, he has this app. Like I really want it. So cute. And I'm like, what am I going to do at that point? Like, no, thank you. You can't have it? No. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, I literally, like, copy-paste my app and give them all admin credentials to to their old application, because I frankly have no time to think about it like a system.
0: Yeah, like single sign-on, like, no, no.
1: Oh, yeah, no. I'm like, listen, this is the only credentials you're going to use, and I'm going to use it. (laughs) This is how we're going to do so I literally, that's what I'm doing for them. And at one point, Layla, I am at 200 people.
0: Logging into Huda. Huda's yes. underscore test. <laughs> Password one, two, three, four, five. Awful.
1: I think we called it like web app V2 or something. I can't remember where it came from, but like we had a spreadsheet version and then it became like, a, like an online oh, web version. So it was great. awful. It's so great. Anyway, so I had like 200 people at this time. I'm like literally using my, I'm like, I'm working my day job which is like super exhausting. And then I'm coming home and I'm literally like plugging in little pieces of data for people into this like database so that they can see it the next day. And then I realized it was a thing. There was like a switch that went off and I wasn't actually, I do this thing where, and I'm sure you do this too, where if you don't know if something is for you, you try to figure out if it drains you of energy or if it gives you energy. For sure. It's like, Like, an exercise I do, like, kind of all the time. And this was part of it. Working on DOT, which I didn't know was called that at the time, was giving me, like, endless amounts of energy. Like, I didn't need sleep. I didn't need caffeine. I could work on this forever. And it wasn't even, like, that exciting. It was, like, very menial work. But because I knew the impact I was having was so huge, I couldn't get enough of it. The next day, like, after I hit the 200 mark, I remember looking – and how many apps I concurrently had running. And I was like, oh my God, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. And the next day I actually put in my resignation. It was like a Tuesday.
0: Ugh. And I, I, like, I feel I already feel for the startup, the other, you know, for the Wealth Simple founder. <laughs> it I'm was like, fine. Do what they you were gotta fine. do. Do what we you gotta were, do.
1: But ugh. We were like big enough at the time where it wasn't that I don't think it was that big a deal. I mean, obviously, so many, like, you know, for years after I got like phone calls being like, I'm trying to reach Well Simple. And I'm like, listen.
0: <laughs> like, a, I'm, we're past the days of you calling me directly. There's a support number. I know. C, I know I'm like, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I still get phone calls from customers.
1: All the time. And I, yeah. I mean, I, I do like them, but I do remember that was a very sort of definitive conversation. Like, I remember it like it was yesterday. And then I called our, like, largest shareholder at the time, majority shareholder, um, and they own an insurance company. And so they were technically our sister company because well Simple was majority owned by them, too. And I called him and I was like, listen, man, I started this like health tech thing, but like, don't sue me because I was employed full time at this company. And like, to his credit, he was like super cool about it. And yeah, that's kind of how it went. It became like, it kind of morphed into its own thing. I think I learned a ton. I think I was super naive going into it. Um, But I almost needed to be that naive to do it.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yes. I mean, that's another, we should do part two. We can talk about how we needed (laughs) to be naive and how we got here. So that's amazing. And so how long ago is that?
1: This is 2017. I did it. And then we're coming up on almost five years of it being like a living, breathing sort of thing outside of me. Um, You know, yeah, it's been it's been a ridiculous journey. And every day I have moments of like, pure bliss. And then I have moments where I just want to be in like a fetal position on the floor. That's
0: that's the founder (laughs) journey. You can have like one day that's a total roller coaster and you wake up like upset and sleep, just like you're on top of the world. Yep. And, and so, in those five years, I mean, in, in terms of the stage of your company now, you've seen early stage, you've seen growth stage. Now you have your own company. Mm-hmm. Um, what are what keeps you up at night now?
1: Um, you know, with with dot, a lot of it is because the environment has changed so quickly in the five years we've been around. You have to remember, like midway through COVID hit. So like
0: yeah, I, I remember. You know, <laughs> so um, not good for a lot of people running companies, right? But for
1: health tech, it was a huge boom.
0: Yeah, so for, I think in we went as well. By the way, where I
1: right? So it just I feel like there's been so many like almost like these like very significant events in the life cycle of dot that different things have kept me up any given night. It's, it's always something to do with it, right? Like something is going phenomenally well and like recently the markets have taken like a huge downturn. So like one of our largest clients, their contract is up for renewal and we're like, we're really worried that it won't renew and it's like a huge chunk of our revenue. So, you know, that's something that kept me up, for example, last night. Because I was thinking of all the different like strategies we can employ and like right. where we sit with them right now and like what I have to do and who do I have to get on the, on the call. And I was emailing you earlier because I was actually about to call the CEO of the company and that was the only time she could do. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to like change my entire weekend around. Um, but that will that will just happen. It, like this company runs my life for better or worse.
0: That sounds very familiar. I'm also just looking at your email. I'm sorry I missed it. I'm sorry, That's okay. You just <laughs> totally missed that. Um, okay, so so I, I mean – You know, it's funny, you you said something about how you question if things give you energy or not. This is the first time I'm recording this. I'm probably going to post it tomorrow because I'm so excited, even though I was initially going to give it a few weeks. But like, I stopped the podcast because I was super pregnant with my third kid. I had maternity leave coming up. The the business is just like in a really, really busy place. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, I have to cut this out. And this is my first time recording it. And I have to say, I just put it through that lens and I was like, this makes me so excited. Like, I have so much energy through this like random one hour project. So thank you for giving me that lens. Likewise. and, you know, like I, I literally can keep you here forever, but I will not because you, you have to do things. But I, I have a question, which is new for season two. This is the first episode of season two. Mm-hmm. Um, so on TikTok, I give a lot of advice on careers and interviewing. So I'm mm-hmm. going to give you a question that I recommend people ask in their interview. And I want you to answer it. Okay? Okay. What are the two things that make you good at your job?
1: <sighs> two things that made me good at my job. I think multitasking. I'm like a master multitasker um and being able to read people
0: Ooh, all right so yo tiktokers hopefully this is helpful i will do this with my guests and they're people who will generally be employing many people that's a good question Um, that's a great question somebody asked me once and i was actually surprised by how quickly i answered it i was like wow i I know myself better than i thought Um, i need to know what you said now highly proactive like i can just respond to everything Mm. high communicator okay Yeah. yeah um so that's me. And where can people find you? Where can they follow the hood journey? You didn't say you're going to write a book. I announced it for you. Sorry, I broke the news, even though you've never mentioned it to me. <laughs> if you do write a book, if you, you know, talk about things, where, where can people follow your
1: journey and the dot journey? It's so funny you mentioned a book because I was like, all my friends have written books now. I don't, have you noticed this? Like Girls, everyone around yes, you? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And, and it's yes. definitely made me question. I'm like, what should I write about? <laughs>
0: Yes, yes, yes. And actually, before you answer that question, I just put a goal in for the next like five years.
1: Mm-hmm. Me and you
0: need to be on a panel together. And I don't care for panels. I'm not on yes. a lot of panels. But I was like, how dope would it be? And how much would we just like flip the room on its head if you had two hijabis in totally different spaces? Okay. built and run companies on a panel. So this is a personal goal of mine. And how where can people find you?
1: Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> I need to tell you the funniest story about that exact topic. Remind me later. I will tell you.
0: Tell the, can you tell the audience? You can't just leave them hanging.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I guess I could. I'm going to shorten it a little bit. But basically... No, I, I don't have to go. I feel like you probably right. have to go because I took an I, hour. I, No, no, no. I'm okay. But basically, I was asked by a dear friend of mine to be on a panel for someone that she knew. And often, the warm referrals, I kind of have You know, You kind of have yeah, to do it. Like, entertain it. Right. So I'm talking to this guy, and he's like, you know, we're thinking about having a fireside chat. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Who do you recommend we have on the other side of you? And you can either be the interviewer or the interviewee. And this is, mind you, I remember what was it? it? They were raising. It was like a fundraising event, um, and it was for a Muslim audience. So I'm thinking, I'm like, who? Hmm, who do I want to have a conversation with? And I start suggesting some names, and I suggest the names of a couple of hijabis and a couple of non-hijabis most of them muslim about 60 maybe 60 70 percent muslim all these suggestions and the organizer comes back to me and he's like yeah these people are great but we can't really have two hijabis
0: (laughs) (laughs) words never spoken before first time ever uttered
1: unbelievable i was like i didn't even know what to say like i was like like a fish with like the yeah. mouth. I was like okay. lost for words. You're
0: like, I was stop um, making recommendations. Just let me know who you want to talk to. I'm going to get back to work now.
1: I, I pulled out from the entire event. I was like, listen, your, your, like priorities are out of whack. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm out. What is this? The Turing test? Like, what are you, what are you doing?
0: That's so, well, I propose the opposite challenge. We need to do it. And like, like I said, I, I typically do not prioritize, but this is now a priority over the next five years. We need to be on a stage together. It's going to be mm-hmm. awesome. We have such great energy and it's going to be really, it's just going to be good.
1: I know. We I know. should That's do it. Like- I meant the Bechdel test of two hijabis actually. Sorry, not, not, uh, not cheering for AI. Um, <laughs> but yes, it's exactly, it's exactly this. And I'd never heard it before. So you're right. Uh, okay. Where can people find me? So I spend like an unhealthy amount of time on Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the time. Okay. I'm at H Idris. It's H-I-D-R-E-E-S. Okay. Um, and that's really, I mean, my DMs are open. I, like, make a bunch of friends on Twitter all the time. Um, Leila included, actually. <laughs> that's our
0: that's origin story.
1: <laughs> um, I, lo- I love, I'm, like, obsessed with Twitter. I love Twitter. And I'm on it all the time. So that's probably the easiest place. Um, and then I'm a big fan of email. I don't know if I mentioned that. But I love oh, a right good cold email. It. Mm
0: -hmm. All right. What's your email? Retro. It's
1: it's huda at hudahadris.com. Okay. Easy, easy.
0: I'm writing this down. This will be in the show notes, my friends. I'm always blown away by how many people give their emails on the show. People use it. Trust me. Great. The great shows.
1: Like, use the emails, folks. Yes. This is how networks and access to networks works, though, right? Like, I've been helped so many times by people like this, and I want to be able to pay it forward and, like, be part of community like that
0: such beautiful words to end on thank you so much huda for the cold dm that turned into this beautiful chat for now being a friend of mine whether you like it or not as we yes such parallel lives um and everybody else, see you next week